in the time of the Buddha, his attendant was called Ananda, and I'm sure you all know that. And his job was to attend to the coming and going of those who wished to visit. His job was to make sure that the teachings were recorded in such a way that nothing inappropriate was recorded, that what was appropriate was kept for posterity, and to make sure that the Buddha's needs were attended to. One day, he was standing outside the Buddha's kuti, and Mara approached. And Ananda, seeing Mara approach, thought, oh gosh, surely the Buddha does not wish to see Mara. And as the Mara approached and said, Good morning, Ananda. How are you? Is the Buddha there? It arose in the Ananda's mind that he should say, mm, No, the Buddha is busy. He has consultations with monks and nuns and lay followers and devotees. He has no time to see you. And then it arose in Ananda's mind, But I have made a vow to uphold the precepts, and that is not the truth. The Buddha is sitting alone in his kuti. I cannot say that. And the Mara uh, then asked a second time, said, So, may I approach and see the Buddha? And then it arose in Ananda's mind. No, you cannot approach and see the Buddha. You are Mara. You are his enemy. The Buddha has no wish to see you. And at which point, Mara smiled and laughed and said, Ha! Ah, so like me, the Buddha has enemies, does he? And Ananda oh, felt somewhat deflated. No, the Buddha does not have enemies. And so Mara said, then he surely would not object to meeting me. So anyway, Ananda had to go in and tell the Buddha that Mara wished to see him. At which the Buddha smiled and said, Ah, Mara is here, bring him in. And the Buddha greeted him like an old friend and sat him down. And Ananda was dismissed. And the two of them spoke in private. And Ananda was most vexed because rarely does such a thing happen that the Buddha sits without Ananda sitting beside listening to what's going on. Anyway, once Ananda has departed, the Buddha turned to Mara and said, So Mara, tell me, what is it? Why are you here? What can I do for you? And Mara turned to the Buddha and said, Oh, you know what, Buddha? I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm growing tired. Um, I was wondering, would you consider swapping and you becoming Mara and, and me becoming the Buddha? <laughs> and the Buddha smiled ruefully. He said, Oh, Mara, it is not like that. You should continue doing what you do. But, but I'm, I'm exhausted. And, and the Buddha, looking at Mara, said, Well, you do not think, uh, Mara, that from time to time I do not find it vexing being Buddha. Wherever I go, people appear. They want to carry me in carriages and put me on their shoulders. They offer me bananas and coconuts when I've already been fed. They do not let me sleep when I am tired and when I wish to take a rest and walk quietly in the woods. There is always somebody coming and saying, 
please can you explain this aspect of the Dhamma? Please can you explain that aspect of the Dhamma? Such is the nature, Mara, that folk like you and I will always be bothered in some way. Much better you just continuing doing what you're doing until you are truly tired of it. At which Mara reflected. Now, the Buddha made reflection. He said, you know, you can tell the state of a being by what remains when they pass. At which point he explained, as I did just now, about a flower. A flower is a truly glorious expression of life. And when it passes away, it becomes nothing but compost and the ground for more flowers to arise. Turning to Mara, he said, when you come to pass and your body comes to decay and all the things that you have created come to decay, how long will it be before it becomes compost and the ground for flowers to arise? At which Mara had to make the reflection, hmm, many other things I have created and many other things I have prompted others to create and a long time it will be before they decay in such a way that they become nothing but compost and the ground for the arising of flowers. And which point the Buddha pointed out, until such time as those things that you have created decay in such a way that they leave no trace and are nothing but the compost for the coming into being as such things as flowers. You shall wander in this round of misery and suffering until such time as you tire in delighting in these things that you create that shall not be the ground for the coming forth of flowers. You shall wander in misery. It is good, Mara, that you have grown tired. It is good, Mara, that you grow exhausted. And so Mara, realizing that he was not going to succeed in just convincing the Buddha to swap places with him, realized that he should go forth. At which point the Buddha pointed out, once there was a time, Mara, when I too delighted in my own creations, and much misery did I create, and much suffering did I experience in my efforts to uphold them. And it wasn't until I grew tired of them that I went forth and left them behind to decay as they might, hoping that one day they would become compost and the ground for the coming forth of flowers. So once upon a time, as that story suggested, we all probably delighted in the idea of our own creations. And we all probably valued our life at some point, maybe not in this life, but at some point we've all, I dare say, been intoxicated with the idea of ourself and what we're capable of creating. And it's in those times that we value our life in terms of what we can display for the benefit of others. Well, Mara got exhausted from doing that. And it is only when we get exhausted that we turn back and start to remember the things that might actually be important in our lives. I was reflecting this morning with Ben, while we were trying to make our plans for the next few months, or I was, and he was planning his thing. 
I wonder just how ready people feel or how many people feel ready to start letting go that pursuit of what I can create and turn that much energy into how I might feel more alive. I speak about this often. I hope you're starting to get the point. But do you feel, do you feel ready? Or are you starting to feel more ready to turn the direction in which you might have, I suppose, steered your energy in your life away from creating more into delighting more in what you've got? You know, it's the Buddha's enlightened day, Enlightenment Day, next full moon, May. But what was it that happened to the Buddha that marked this milestone in the history of human consciousness? There he was. Before he became enlightened, before he went off in his search for real meaning in his life, he had pursued all the things that we could possibly become intoxicated with. And he didn't find any peace. And in that story, there's Mara, the heavyweight champion of becoming intoxicated in creating things that create nothing but complication and misery. Convincing other people to, convey, to create things that they don't need. Convincing people to delight in the creation of other people. And this general feeling of I've got to have something I haven't got. I've got to create something so that I might be seen. When you strip away carefully all the things that look like what might have got the world into a difficult state, when you peel back and get down to the root of what it is that causes us to get into suffering time and time again. It is that one access point. It is that point at which we become more intoxicated in what we can create than we are intoxicated or delighted in the idea of being alive and the creation that we are a part of. That is the axis point at which we start to undo the very fabric that we depend upon. Now, if that is the axis point at which things start to, yeah, decay, even though it looks like a few hundred years of civilization, an extraordinary display of ingenuity, that the appearance of those things that we create in this world marks the turning point towards degeneration. I mean, it's so far from what we would assume. It's so far from the way that humanity thinks. We would 
consider it to be the pinnacle of creation. The fact that we can do all these ingenious things. But in our delight in our creations, we choke the life out of creation itself. So it always gets to this point. Now, sometimes it would be some very distant thing that is perhaps something we could only mull over. But here, right now in this life that we're living, it's now. We are at this axis point, my friends. I, I don't know, even if I can begin to convey to you the significance of what we are in the middle of. The way in which we meet this moment, this next few years, will determine the trajectory of humanity and life on this planet. And it's got nothing to do with this virus. It's got everything to do with whether we stop for long enough to take stock. And look, and look. Have you done it? While you've been stuck indoors, not able to do what you might like, have you stopped and taken stock and gone, okay, what really is going on here? Now, if the vi virus disappeared tomorrow without trace, where would we be going next? It's not whether the virus disappears. That is the point here. It's where we choose to go next. Now in the time when Mara tires before he's fully consumed everything he can consume, then he works out like the Buddha does and frees himself from suffering. If, however, he doesn't, we don't figure out that, then we don't free ourselves from suffering. We are there right now in this round. I don't know how many times we come and go, but very rarely do we find ourselves at this point where the decisions that we make now define the life of those to come. So, in a way, it is the making of us, if we can find the courage to do what might be being asked. So, I guess if you're listening this evening, you're open to the idea that something might be being asked of us? What do you feel you've got to give in that, what should we call it, towards that? Are you sitting there, do you sit there thinking, well, you know, really what I do, it, does it really matter in the great big scheme of things? Or are you going, I know it's just me. 
But if I'm going to be at peace with myself, then I've got to do what's being asked of me. Wow, that's big stuff, my friends. It doesn't get bigger than that. I don't think there's any point in tap dancing any longer. So, are we ready to have a discussion about what it is that we need to do? My grandfather was a very noble man. But you know what? He lived with a quiet sense of shame his whole life. And he was very open about it. The reason he had this feeling of, yes, it was a sense of shame in some way, was because he was not allowed to go to war and fight for his country like his brothers did because he had a job that required him to be in service back in England. Now, he always felt for his whole life that he hadn't stood up in that moment when his whole generation stood up to be counted. Now, he didn't go and lose his life fighting for the freedoms that we subsequent generations have basically lived with. Now, we're being charged to stand up for something for the future generations who are going to come after us. Now, we aren't being asked to go and possibly give our lives to fight an enemy but we are being asked at least to make some choices about the way that we live our lives so that we can leave some freedoms behind for the future generations, the way that my grandfather's generation left freedom for us. So if we feel hard done by, by the fact that we may well be asked to live with less, then perhaps we should stop and ask ourselves, how hard done by is it, really? There are a lot of very hard done by people alive right now. And that's not almost all of us. So, look, we might, in another time and another place, have been like my grandfather's brothers and had to go and stand and fight for freedom or something that we felt we believed in. We might have had to actually put our lives on the line and maybe even sacrifice ourselves, and it happened often, many times. That isn't being asked of us now, but something is. So please, my friends, let's think about it. We may only be a tiny, ragged bunch of folk. But at least let us 
start thinking about it. And at least let's not be shy about it. You know, I know I've been a bit shy to say these things. And as a result, I suppose I've been living with a quiet sense of shame when burning inside me is a very strong sense of what we need to do and yet a feeling that because perhaps it might be considered a little bit unpalatable, perhaps I should just hold my peace. But I know you are able to listen from your heart to what I'm saying now. And if you can hear your heart calling to you and you don't respond, it's going to chip away. So in your own way, your own little way, unnoticed and quietly, and even though you know in the great turning of this planet, individually, I don't make a difference. It really does, my friends. The seeds that you sow in the ground now may well fruit. The way you choose to live your life may well fruit as an inspiration to the next person. So try, try to find the courage to overcome your resistance to change just because it's unfamiliar. Try and find the courage to go into those places where you feel uncomfortable and just say to yourself, what do I have to do to feel alive? Because you have the chance. It's still there. So in remembrance of my grandfather's generation and the freedoms that they granted us, let us do what we can for the next generation.